0: where we'll be. For those kids taking notes, Galatians is in the New Testament. Joshua asked me 20 minutes ago, hey, is Galatians in the New Testament or the Old Testament? That's something for you to fill out there. All right, Galatians chapter 5, and then we're going to read verses 16 and 17 together. Last week we began um, looking at this idea of why is it that, you know, some people, you pray and receive Christ and, and they take off and it just seems like, man, you can just see a drastic difference in their life. And then other people, you, you'll pray and receive Christ and then it's just like they're the walking dead. It's just like they go through the motions of what it means uh, to be a follower of Christ. And we looked at it in the parable of the soils out of Matthew chapter 13. And, you know, Matthew chapter 13, it, it speaks of, really we looked at two different things. Uh, main ideas sometimes those people who pray and receive christ sometimes they start off really good but because they just they go through a difficult time and they just don't handle the pain and the suffering very well and they just they fall away and then there are other people they start off doing really good and it's the parable where the the um, the weeds come in it just literally chokes the life out of them and jesus said that's he he equated that and said hey that's the person that they pray and receive Christ, and then because of the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world, they just never flourish as a follower of Christ. Well, today I want to continue on this idea of trying to, what is it that can, can take a person? And maybe you, where you are this morning, how can you, how can you really take off and grow as a follower of Christ. I, and I've entitled this message, Controlled by the Spirit. Because here, here's what I don't want you to get the impression of. As. I don't want you to get the impression that being a follower of Christ is something that you have to do all in your own power. Right? Because, you know, think about it this way. You can have a biblical view of pain and suffering, and you can have a biblical view of stewardship, and you could still not grow as a follower of Christ. Because it's, Christianity is not a self-help religion. Okay, Samuel Chadwick, who was a uh, who was a pastor back in the 1800s, he, he said, "Chris, the Christian religion is hopeless without the Spirit of God. There, there are things in your life that, if the Spirit of God is not in control of your life, you will fall and you will tumble and you will struggle each and every time that you you go through those those uh, struggles." Uh, Adrian Rogers, he was a, he was pastor at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis. He, he died a few years ago, uh, gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, Adrian Rogers con- compared it to this. He said it's like you've got this nice muscle car, you know, would we'll you say a Camaro or a Mustang? But yet you push it everywhere you go, and yet all you got to do is get in, sit down, and turn the key. But you push it because you. you for some reason, you just don't trust the power that has been made available to you, okay? And so, unless we are controlled by, filled with the Holy Spirit, we're, we're hopeless. We're, we'll always struggle, okay? So, Galatians chapter 5, stand with me. Let's read verses 16 to 17 together. Galatians 5, verse, beginning in verse 16, you'll find these similar words. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd add your blessing to the reading of your word. Lord, open up our hearts and our minds that we might understand the truthfulness of your word today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys are going to be seated. A few years ago, J.D. Greer, he wrote a book entitled um, Jesus Continued, While the Spirit Inside of You is Greater Than Jesus Beside You. It's based on John chapter 16, verse 7, when, when Jesus told his disciples, It is to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't go away, then the Helper will not come. And so in other words, here's what Jesus is saying. You, you go way back on up, Troy. You don't need to get there yet. Not at all. Um, nope. Back. There you go. Well, you, you can just stay right there. Friday. Right We're good. All right. But anyway, based on John chapter 16, verse 7, it's to your advantage that I'll go away. Can you imagine what they thought? Can you imagine? I mean, Jesus is walking beside them, and, and he tells them, hey, it's to your advantage that I go away. You will be better off if I leave and the Spirit comes. I bet for most of you, I mean, I mean, I struggle with this. I would think, hey, man, if Jesus was walking beside me each and every day, I think I would live a little more faithful in my walk with Christ. Wouldn't that's, that's kind of the idea that most of us would agree with, right? But Jesus says, hey, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the Spirit will not come. And so, J.D., would say the Spirit inside of you would be greater than Jesus beside you. In just a moment, I'm going to give you four reasons. One of which you've already written down. Shame on you. Uh, Four reasons or, or four areas of your life that will be different if you're controlled by the Spirit. But before I do that, let me say a few things about the Spirit of God. We talk a lot about God. We talk about the Father. We talk a lot about Jesus. But we don't talk a whole lot about the Spirit. There are two ends of the spectrum when we think about the Spirit of God. On one end, there are are those who, when they think about the Spirit of God, they talk about being baptized by the Spirit, and, and man, you get, you've probably seen it on TV, or maybe you've attended some churches where, I mean, people are running up and down the aisle, and they're shouting, and I even read about this lady recently. Uh, she went to one of those type churches, and, and there was a lady, she fell in the floor and started rolling around, and she stopped the entire service, thought the lady was sick and having a heart attack, and she stopped the entire service, and the preacher was like, that's okay, she does that every week, okay? And so, I mean, that's not us, okay? We're not on that end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, and, and man, just being honest, Anna, as your pastor, we struggle in this area. We don't depend on the Spirit for hardly anything. We focus so much on the Word of God. We say, the Bible says this and the Bible says that and let's just focus on that. And and if we can't do it in our own power, let's not attempt to do it. And, And we just don't really depend upon anything that the Spirit has to do in our life. And it's somewhere in between those two that we find a New Testament example of the Spirit of God working in our life. It is the Spirit of God working and taking control of our life, honoring the Word of God, and always exalting Jesus Christ in our life. That's what the Spirit does. He always works to exalt Christ. But now here's the second thing about the Spirit of God. There are those who would say that if the Spirit is going to have control of your life, you have to be baptized with the Spirit. There has to be a, a second feeling by the, by the Spirit in your life. I see no evidence whatsoever in the New Testament that there is a second baptism in the Holy Spirit. I see over and over, or I see what what Paul would say in Ephesians 5.18, that we are to continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's this idea where I get the title of our message from this morning of being controlled by the Spirit of God. It's it's a day-by-day fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit, and so... I may not agree with the second feeling of the Holy Spirit, but I agree in a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth, and a seventh, and an eighth, and a ninth, and a tenth, and so on, that we are continually, continually, over and over, depending upon the Spirit of God, to move and to work in, in our life. It's the person that is filled with the Spirit that, that we are controlled by the Spirit. Does that make sense? you with me? Alright, so if our life is filled with the Spirit of God, and He's in control... These four areas will be different in your life. Now, let me say this. This list is not exhaustive. I mean, I, we could have gone for days and even months talking about how your life would be different. But these four areas, your life will be different if the Spirit of God is in control of your life. Now, first of all, Troy, you can get to that one now. God's Word will become alive in you. Okay, when the Spirit of God is in control of your life, the Word of God will become alive in you. Jesus, when he was teaching on the Holy Spirit back in John chapter 16, he said in John chapter 16, verse 13, that the Spirit would guide believers into all truth. As believers, spiritual truth is not something we create, right? And so we don't we don't have the authority to say, well, here's what truth is. The Spirit guides us in the truth. We don't, we don't create truth. We discover truth as it is written for us in, inside the Scriptures. Now, we looked at this, the first two weeks of this series, but the Bible that you have in your hands, whether it's a book, whether it's on a, a Kindle or an iPad, the Bible as, as we have it today, it is a divine book. You know, yes, human guys were used to, to, to write those words, but God inspired those writers. Peter said it this way, that, that men of God were carried along by the Spirit as they wrote the Scriptures. The word carried along, it gives us the picture of a ship, like a, a sailboat, being carried along by the wind. We can't see the wind moving, but we see the evidence of the wind moving by the ship that is flowing, that is going through the ocean. And so that's what it means. These guys are carried along. There, There is an unseen force that is not necessarily dictating, but is, is certainly involved in the process of them writing the Scriptures. And so because the Bible is a divine book, we, it needs a a divine teacher to teach us, and we have that in the Holy Spirit. Now here's the the deal. It is possible for you, each and every one of you, that you could take this book, and and we read it in the Old Testament this morning out of 2 Kings, and you can read the history, and you can discover this, and you can know this, and you can know a lot of historical facts about the Bible. You can know who wrote it, when they wrote it, why they wrote it, and, and things like that. But unless the Spirit of God guides you as you study, all you're going to know is mere fact. That, that's why it's possible, and some of you have, have, have just experienced this in your own life. You've read something, say you've read the Gospel of John uh, 50 times in your life. But then you, you're reading it meditatively in, in your quiet time, and, and the Spirit of God is just, just, is just leading in that, and you see something that you've never seen before, and the Spirit just uses that. Why is that? It's because the Spirit of God, who is a divine teacher, is guiding you As you do that, that's what he does. The the Word of God becomes alive in our life when the Spirit of God is in control of us. Some of you have heard the name D.L. Moody. How many of y'all have heard the name D.L. Moody? I I say his name quite often. One of the greatest evangelists uh, that has ever walked the United States of America. D.L. Moody could barely read and write. How is it that D.L. Moody, who could barely read and write, could be so mightily used by God as an evangelist? Because the Spirit of God was in control of his life. And it made the Word of God become alive in him. Let me say this. If you're a follower of Christ and you have no desire, you say, well, man, I I love Jesus, but I don't want to study his Word. I I really struggle to see how the Spirit of God is in control of your life. When this is how he speaks to us. This is how he ministers to us. This is how how we grow in our faith with him. There's something in your life that's wrong. You have no desire to spend time with God in his word. When you are controlled by the spirit of God, the word of God becomes alive in your life. Now, here's the second thing. When you are controlled by the spirit of God, the fruit of the spirit will become evident in your life. All right, so you're you're there, Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. Look at verse 22. It's going to be on the screen for those of you who don't have a Bible. But the fruit of the Spirit, and many of you have seen this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Many times we like to, to take these and, And we'd like to say, well, today I'm going to work on love, tomorrow I'm going to work on joy, next day peace, and and so on through the list. But it says the fruit of the Spirit, Mr. Allen. It's it's singular, it's fruit. And so in other words, if if you have one, then you need to have all. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's, It's what the fruit is will be in our life. It's singular. So you can't just work on one. This is what the Spirit will produce in you if you are controlled by the Spirit. For our time this morning, let's just take the first two. If you're controlled by the Spirit, you walk in love, you walk in joy. Remember, y'all have heard of the two great commandments, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we are controlled by the Spirit of God, the love of God will flow through us and others will be able to see the love of God in us. You know what, as I sit and I observe, you know what I think most of us think love is? not doing harm to somebody else. Well, hey, I I love people, man. I I haven't killed nobody lately. I haven't cussed nobody out lately. I'm I'm just full of love, right? Love does not mean the absence of harm or harmful intentions. Love means that you're actively trying to minister to others for their own well-being, okay? When we are controlled by the Spirit of God... We don't have to wait and sit back and and wait for people to come and say, hey, can you help me? We are actively thinking, hey, how can I show the love of God to my friends? How can I show the love of God to my neighbors? How can I show the love of God to the people that I work with? How can I show the love of God to my friends? How can I show the love of God to those people that I go to school with? Many of you are going back to school tomorrow. How can you show the love of God to your friends that you have not seen all summer? Love of God that is in us when we're controlled by the Spirit, it means that we're actively trying to show love to people. Okay? And then joy. You know what one of my pet peeves is? It happens every Christmas. At some point, we'll do it this Christmas. We'll stand and sing that song with joy. And what's the name of that song? Joy to the World. And we'll sing it like this. I'll I'll say it. I won't (laughs) sing it. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And then on and on and on. At some point, if the Spirit of God is controlling your life, when you sing about the joy of the Lord, let your face know that you have joy. Okay? It should be evident in your life. Okay? it's, It's the joy of the Lord. I mean... At some point, we have to realize that, that we, those who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, that that we have joy. I'm happy that my kids are going back to school tomorrow. Can I get a witness? Amen. But that's not what brings me joy. My joy is based on the fact that Jesus loved me, and, and when I was unlovable, and he gave his life for me. I mean, we as Christians, we should have joy. We I read Jim that tells about this lady when he was growing up and he was um, going to church. He said there was a lady that always attended, and and she dressed in black, and she never smiled, and and she never frowned. She just attended, and she would sing, and her face would always be the same. And and he said one particular Sunday, I just got the nerve to to ask somebody, what's wrong with that lady? And the man who he asked said, well, that's Miss So-and-so. She's the godliest lady we know. Wait a minute. At some point, if we're godly and the Spirit of God is in our life, I mean, joy. We, we should be excited. We, we should be not necessarily happy, but we should be, how else can you say it? Joyful. Does that mean that we, we never go through tough times, that we never have sorrow? No. Psalm 27, David was surrounded with his with his enemies, People were trying to kill him. But he went into the to the temple and he began to make sacrifices of joy. Hey, listen, I can't carry a tune in a 100-gallon bucket. But God says it's not my vocal ability that matters. It's my heart rejoicing in who he is and what he has done for me. And so, therefore, when I stand and when I sing, it doesn't matter what the tune is. It don't matter if it's a guitar or whether it's a piano. It don't matter if the drums are involved. It don't matter what the song is. If it will help me think deeply about who Jesus is and what He has done for me, then my faith should know that I've got joy in Jesus. And I can stand, and I don't care if you like my singing or not, I can rejoice in what God has done for me. Amen? Amen? Joy. If the Spirit of God is in control of your life, then the fruit of the Spirit should be evident in your life. But now there's a third thing. If you're controlled by the Spirit, you will desire to be like Jesus. Right before Paul gives this list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 22, he speaks about the works of the flesh. While we are on earth, our flesh will always fight to be in control of us. Y'all experience that? Am I the only one? I mean, mean, sometimes I wake up and I do my quiet time and I'm trying to walk with Jesus and before I can... Before I can finish my quiet time, somebody's coming in, and I, I've responded in a way I shouldn't. Can I get a witness? And so our flesh it, it fights the control of the spirit. We're in this battle. That's what Paul talked about in Romans six and Romans seven. So we we've got these the, the works of the flesh, and so we're we're fighting. So yielding to the control of the spirit. It's always a daily task. That's what that's why we encourage. Say continuously be being filled with the Spirit. And so he gives us this list. In, starting in, in verse 19 of the works of the flesh, you, you know, just sexual immorality, impurity, fits of anger,s the envy, drunkenness, and all these things. You see them there. And for most of you, you won't struggle with all of them. You'll just struggle with one or two of them. And and they'll, and, and, and they'll you'll struggle, man. But now notice, it's a struggle. It doesn't mean that you'll just continually give in to those. It means that you'll struggle to put away the works of the flesh. Now, notice, this is not my words. It's what what God is saying to us here at the end of verse 21. He says, And now I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not make it into heaven. That doesn't mean now that you you don't struggle with it. It's saying, those who say, you know what, I love Jesus, but I'm just going to live this particular way. It's who I am. And so I'm just going to live that lifestyle. Not, no. You, you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. All of those things. There. It doesn't mean you don't struggle. It just means that you, you'll you face temptations. But if you're controlled by the Spirit, you know what you're seeking to do? you're seeking to be like Jesus. Every area of your life, you're seeking to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Sometimes when we face those temptations, here, here's, here's a good idea, here's a good thought. When you finally, um, in, in that moment, say so you, you give in to the temptation, and you fall and if you don't feel like dirt, it's probably a good indication that something's amiss in your life. Because we all struggle, right? I mean, we struggle with the works of the flesh. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was in Walmart. And uh, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, I was in Walmart. I needed to get my, my tires rotated. And so I paid like nine bucks a tire to, to get them rotated for the life of the tire. Okay? And so that meant... Okay, anytime I go to Walmart, I want my tires rotated. you got to change them. Well, I grew a couple of weeks ago, and just to get my tires rotated, Joshua and Savannah are with me. And uh, drop dropped my car off, and I'm walking through Walmart. Mr. Heath Faircloth, he'll come to Tire and Automotive. We need to talk to you, something like that. And so I go back to Bruce, who's the guy um, that I was talking with. Hey, uh, we can't rotate your tires. Uh, they're, they don't have enough tread on them. Um, so we just, our policy is you, we can't rotate your tires. In Jesus' name, I was mad. I was not happy. I felt like I had wasted that $9 of tires. That's $36, guys. <laughs> you know? And so I had to go finish shopping, and the longer I walked around Walmart, the madder I got. I mean, it's just it's just what, who I am. It's just what happened. And so I go to pick up my truck and to leave. And I'm not happy, and so I say, "Hey Bruce, you're gonna have to show me what you're talking about." And I just, I don't, I don't buy it. I mean, there ain't, I said that's a, that's. A, I bought the t- a truck brand new; it ain't but forty some thousand miles on the tire. People put the best tires they make on, on new vehicles. There ain't no way that you're trying to tell me that my tires are in bad shape. You you won't even rotate them. You're gonna have to show me this. I mean, I'm just not, I'm just not happy. And we go to walk out, and he's trying to, you know. Be nice. And I'm like, never mind. Just just don't even worry about it. Just give me my keys. And I walk out. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's going to eat your lunch. So you know what I had to do? I went back a few days later to see Bruce. Because as a follower of Jesus, I don't have the right to talk to Bruce like that. Bruce wasn't there. And so a few days later, I called. I said, hey, Bruce, my name's Heath. I don't know if you remember me. Um, A couple weeks ago, I dropped my car off to you. And I responded in a way that was not appropriate. You see, Bruce, I'm a follower of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, I don't have a right to treat you that way. And so, Bruce, I've asked Jesus to forgive me. Would you mind? Would you forgive me as well? See, the works of the flesh oppose the works of the Spirit. And as a follower of Christ, if the Spirit of God is in control of your life, when you fall, you'll seek to be like Jesus, and you'll repent, and you'll do everything you can to make a relationship right. Okay? So when the Spirit of God is in control, you'll seek to be like Jesus. Now, here's the final thing. When the Spirit of God is in control of your life, you will live with the power of God. It's an interesting thing. The Gospel of Luke, when, when Jesus is about to leave at the very last chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, now guys, before you begin your mission, before you go out, I need you to wait in Jerusalem till you are empowered from on high. Now, Luke also wrote Acts. In fact, it's, it's almost like it, it's it's meant to be one volume, but... In our Bibles, it's, it's two books. And so in Luke 2, so we call that Acts, one of the very first things that happened is that the Jesus said, hey, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. But it's an interesting thing, Sam, Jesus said, you have an urgent mission before you. There is a huge task in the days ahead, but before you even begin your task, you've got to wait until you receive the power of the Spirit of God in your life. You see, Samuel Chadwick was right. Your walk with Jesus Christ is so predicated on the feeling of the Holy Spirit that you are helpless to be the person that God has called you to be unless the Spirit of God is in control of your life. You, you can never be the man or the woman or the child of God that He calls you to be unless the Spirit of God is absolutely in control of your life. And so, Acts chapter two, the Spirit of God comes and He fills the people, and they are empowered. We were studying this the other night. Not to put my children on the spot, I have to be careful of what I say now that they're in the service. And so we were studying this the other night. We were doing it Thursday night, Joshua. If you remember it. We, we talked about Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and they, and they were empowered. You know what Joshua said? He said something like this. You mean they had powers like Superman? Batman? You know, superpowers? He said, no, son, it was a great teachable moment. And no, son, he empowered them to be the people that he wanted them to be. He, he gave them power to overcome sin in their life. He, he empowered them. Um, uh, to to overcome the temptation in their life. He empowered them uh, so that they could overcome the fear and the doubt that they have in life. He empowered them so that they could defeat anger. He, he empowered them so that they could live boldly and courageously and stand up for Him and to share Him with their neighbors and their family and, and even maybe complete strangers. You see, when the power of God is within you, and you are controlled by the Spirit of God, You can live as the man or woman of God. That is something supernatural. In the culture, in the world that we live in, for you to live faithfully as a follower of Christ, it takes the power of God working in you, and that is a supernatural power that you have in your life. So here's the question that you need to ask yourself today. Am I living controlled by the Spirit of God? Does, does my life represent that the Spirit of God is in control of my life? Man, if I, if I were honest, the Lord has eaten my lunch this week. I, I mean, I'm surprised I, I don't look like Rose and just black and blue all over my body. Just the way Jesus has been speaking to me and dealing with my own personal life. So what happens this morning if you find yourself just right where you are? And you're, you would say, Preacher, the Spirit of God is not in control of my life. Well, here's two questions for you. First of all, can you just, right where you are, can you identify an area of your life that you have not surrendered to Christ? Is there, is there a sin in your life, maybe even on the list that we mentioned in Galatians 5, 19 and 20 and 21, that you say, you know what, yep, I struggle with that. That, that right there is just in control of my life right now. Instead of the spirit of God being in control of my life, that's what's in control of my life. What about this? Maybe it's it's not necessarily something that that you're not act, that you're actively doing that's wrong. Then maybe the spirit of God is saying, "You know what? I remember that time I, I told you that that you needed to do A, B, or C. That, that maybe you needed to give this, or maybe maybe this area of your life that you're I've asked you to do this." And you just won't do it. And because you're not walking in obedience in that area, it's just quench control of your life. The Spirit of God is just no longer in control of your life. I man, if just right where you are, the Spirit of God is just speaking to your heart in are areas of your life that you're saying, you know what, yep, that's that's why, that's why. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing, and here's what I'm just going to ask you to do, man. Just... I say this almost every Sunday. I'm not your high priest. Jesus is. You have a direct line between you and God through Christ. Would you just make it right with Him? Get your heart right with Him. Surrender that area to Him. Do that which He's called you to do. And then maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, preacher? never really surrender my life to Jesus. I grew up in church. Maybe I did this, I did that. But honestly, when you mentioned that those who practice those things will never inherit the kingdom of heaven, that just, that just sent chills down my spine because I know that's the lifestyle I live. The preacher today, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to ask him to be Lord and Savior of my life because I'm not living the life that I, that I should be. We stand and we sing. I'm just going to ask you to get up and just walk down the aisle and just take me by the hand and say, Preacher, today, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm tired of trying to do this in my own willpower. I'm tired of of trying to, to do this in my own power. Today, I just want the Spirit of God to take control of my life. So, Father, today, As we come, as we think about preparing our hearts to respond, Lord, I, I ask that you would move during this invitation. Lord, speak to your people. Lord, would you have your way? Lord, today, would we leave being controlled by your Spirit? Would be the husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and students and children what you've called us to do. Father, work for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is page, page 275. If you would just go ahead and take your hymnal and, and turn there. and Then if the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, would you come and You respond as the Lord leads. Page 275, would you stand?